You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. It's this time for the, it's time for this week's Know Your Foe episode. And joining me is Pete Smith, who covers the Browns for OBR now. Right, right, Pete. Yeah, I'm at the Orange and Brown Report. All right, fantastic. I like our friend Jake Burns, and and uh, who's on the show a lot, and uh, uh, it must be a lot of fun to work with him. Yeah, it's a. We've obviously known each other for quite a while. Uh, you know, we've always talked about different things we'd like to do, and now we have an opportunity to get get down and, and do some of those things. Uh, certainly, in in your realm of just more film, more talking X's and O's, you know theorizing what may happen and then evaluating what actually happened. All right. Well, appreciate having you on here. And uh, the Ravens play the Browns for the second time this year, of course, coming up on Sunday. Uh, I guess the biggest news to Sean Watson will be back last last. We thought we were going to see him the first week. And I guess he was a day of game decision and DTR uh, started instead. And that uh, kind of was a big reason I'd say for the, for the lopsided score. Yeah, not 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 a great uh, not a great debut for your career. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about who Watson is this year. Now he's 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 played very well in in several games and, and had some difficulty early in the season. Uh, where is he right now? Well, I mean, you, at this point, they are hoping uh, or at least saying all the right things that the shoulder injury is now behind him, that the rotator cuff is healed. Do we really believe that? Difficult to say. Uh, certainly the, the game against the Arizona Cardinals, at least from a sheer strength standpoint, gave you reason to believe, yes, we're in good shape. 
now there are questions about sort of short and intermediate passes as far as that goes. But in general, uh, he is, you know, the offense has been built for him, save for certain changes they've had to make just with personnel around them and who they have and who they don't have at this point. Um, so it's a little bit of a feeling out process more from his standpoint than the offenses, but it's just trying to get him as comfortable as possible and doing things that he likes to do. Uh, Kevin Stefanski's done a pretty good job in, in his history uh, of getting the offense uh, to a point where it's, it, it helps to lift a quarterback. And now when you're talking about what you saw this last week, were there, were there any issues with velocity, any issues with getting the ball deep at all? Uh, issues with accuracy, but we're looking for something here. Short and intermediate, there were some questions. Um, whether that was just a nerve slash feel thing, difficult to say. Arm strength, no problem. You know, mm-hmm. he ripped that first thirty-five yard thirty-five yard rope to Omari Cooper. He felt good. He finished the game with a forty-five yard rope to Omari Cooper through double coverage. It was, you know, one of the best balls the Browns have thrown this season. Mm-hmm. So at least from that standpoint, he looks great. Now it's about details and little things and some of that. And I, and I think he looks better throwing deep right now than anything else. Let's talk about the trade deadline for a minute because the, the Browns were not perhaps active in the way you'd expect. I mean, I, I would have expected the Browns potentially still to be a team that was on the look for ta- lookout for talent given – where they sit in the AFC and their, their chance to make the playoffs seems to be pretty good right now. But uh, yeah, they, they went out and they traded Donovan Peoples-Jones for a sixth-round pick, right, to the Lions? Yes. Um, so I had the opposite thought on how the Browns should approach this. I, I thought the Browns did what I, what I expected them to do. And there are a number of reasons why. Um, first, as far as Donovan Peoples-Jones goes, uh, because of the quarterback just mess. He hadn't been able to do much. And and the other part of that is that part is not his fault. The part that was somewhat of his fault, he was just a miserable punt returner this year after being so good last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was getting no targets. He was just running for exercises in a lot of those games. And he's an expiring contract. He was probably – I mean, he was going to test free agency regardless. So I think the Browns in many ways thought, hey, we can get something for him – We've got this rookie we like in Cedric Tillman. We've got Marquise Goodwin, who we want to see on the field more because of the speed element he brings. And I I think the return, frankly, sucked, but I also understand why it was so low. And Detroit obviously needs help with uh, their receiving situation, so it made sense. Um, But just in general of not being aggressive, I think at some point this season, the the Browns, who obviously are low on draft assets in particular because of the Deshaun Watson trade, don't have assets to sort of give away. Um, and, and you saw it right from the rip when they traded Josh, uh, Josh Dobbs and a seventh to get a fifth-round pick. In the, they need assets. So in a season where you lost Jack Conklin week one for the season, you lost Nick Chubb week two for the season, you have – even if you're, you're sitting there going, well, Nick, you, Deshaun Watson looked great against the Cardinals, which is a mixed bag in my opinion – He's been a giant question mark. How much more do you want to spend on a season where you're sitting there going, I don't know if we have this. And and from the Browns front office standpoint, they're looking at this as an extended window that they feel like they've got three, four years to be able to push this as opposed to thinking, well, we've got to go all in. And then, you know, the other aspect is you just look at the division. It's a nightmare. I mean, this is a brutal thing where the Bengals are in dead last 
and they were in the AFC title game last year, and, and they're they're five and four. It's it's a brutal slugfest for the Browns. So I I think it made sense for them to sort of sit back and say, hey, do we really want to send what Washington was asking for a third round pick for Jacoby Brissett to mm-hmm. get maybe a couple games out of him, or maybe you know nobody's giving away left tackles uh, or or some of these other positions. So th- th- it made no sense for them to really push the way some people were kind of hoping for. Yeah, and that does make a lot of sense. I, 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 a lot of people wanted the Ravens to make a move, obviously, and and uh, the Ravens have an enormous raft of free agents going at the end of this year. They they are desperate to to maintain draft capital for next year. Uh, I, I didn't think it was the right move uh, there, but it's interesting because DPJ for a six, that's incredible value. And I'm looking at that and I'm I'm thinking, boy, that'd be a nice move for the Ravens to try and get over the hump this year in, in terms of. But I doubt that Browns would have made that trade in division. Well, you you can't help but wonder if 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 an AFC team came calling and offered maybe a little more. The Browns are like, no, we're going to go ahead and send him home to Detroit. And again, he's going to be a free agent after the season, so that sort of opens up the options where maybe a team like the Ravens might call him up and piss a lot of Browns fans off if they go that route. <laughs> 10.0 yards per target career prior to this year for for uh, 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 Donovan Peoples-Jones. And, and a and guy it, who... Uh, there've only been a couple guys in Ravens history. I think there's been five now total that have ever averaged 10.0 or more in a season, uh, you know, let alone a career. So uh, the, the uh, interesting thing about Donovan Peoples Jones, if you track basically all of his big games or big moments, they're all against the Bengals. Mm-hmm. He has absolutely destroyed the Bengals. So that's another element of that. All right. All right, well, let's uh, uh, let's move on a little bit and talk about uh, the offensive line, its current state. Now, we know both tackles have, have uh, had injury problems. What's the status of Jedrick Wills going into this game? Yeah, so Jedrick Wills went down in a heap. Uh, they put an air cast on immediately, and everybody's thinking, oh, season's over. Incredibly, he only injured his MCL, PCL, and suffered bone bruises. He is on injured reserve. He's going to be out approximately six weeks. Um and that's frankly the the good news version of what they thought was going to have happen. So he's out. Jack Conklin's been out. He's not coming back this season. So they've had uh, James Hudson the third is most likely going to be the left tackle this week and going forward. Uh, who's been sort of a swing tackle guy they've had for a few years. He was a defensive tackle in college initially at Michigan before tra- transferring to Cincinnati to become an offensive tackle. Uh, they liked his uh, aggressive nature and they wanted to see if they can develop him. He's a pretty good run blocker. He's been more of a question mark as a pass protector. Um, but he's been in the system for a long time. Bill Callahan's had a lot of chances to work with him. And on the other side, the, the very pleasant surprise has been the rookie Dewan Jones stepping in as a fourth-round rookie. Um, and it's one of those situations where the questions with, with him as a player had nothing to do with ability. He dominated two years at Ohio State as a right mm-hmm. tackle. He's 21. Obviously, he's 300, you know, 374 pounds is estimated. God only knows. Uh, but he's got that enormous length. His arms reach forever. Um, and he's just always been an excellent pass protector. His run blocking is 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 bad. Um, he has, for his size and everything, he has good straight line speed. He has good explosiveness. But he's a bookcase. It's difficult for him to sort of adjust quickly on, on defensive linemen who are trying to, you know, fill a gap or whatever. So that's where he has a difficult time. But, like, He's done largely what he did in college. He just protects the quarterback. His first start was against TJ Watt. He fared pretty well. And then he, if not for a miscommunication on a block, he completely shut down 
he completely shut down uh, Nick Bosa from a pass rushing standpoint. Um, again, not a good run blocker. And, and there will be plays, and, and you may have watched them already, where he gives you nothing. And you're sitting there going, woof. But the name of the game uh, is pass protection first and foremost, and he does that well. Yeah. And it's it's always the most important thing for any any lineman. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Bryant McKinney, uh, in terms of his his size and length uh, that, that that he gives you. But uh, uh, kind of a, a, a huge monolith, obviously, of a, of a player. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, the Ravens with with Daniel Falalele have a guy of similar size. You know, and yeah. and uh, and he's not nearly performed as well at the NFL level. He's been uh, turnstile in terms of. Uh, you know, a pass blocker. So uh, I'm much, I, I, probably a little better run blocker, but you know, I'd much rather have that the, the combination of, of a good, good pass blocker, questionable run blocker at tackle. Uh, let's move on. Uh, the running backs, obviously the, the Nick Chubb injury in a lot of ways to find the Browns season kind of early. And, and I think the defense has been holding the team together in a lot of ways since, but talk a little bit about how the, the Browns have adjusted at running back. Yeah. So, there's, there's two parts to that. The, the part with Chubb is that he makes everybody else right. And their offensive linemen have come at Wyatt Teller has, but has not been afraid to say as much that he, he calls him the eraser, that he will erase mistakes and do those things. So it's been more uh, onus on the offensive front. And then the other, the combination with that is between having Dewan Jones now out there and Jedrick Wells, when he was playing, it was really difficult and has been really difficult to run outside zone. They don't really have the people for it. They still run it occasionally, which is annoying to watch, but they're not built for that. And one of the things they wanted to incorporate and they're starting to use more. And I think since the bye week have gotten better at it, they're using more inside zone. They're using more split zone. And they're also in addition to things that they've been doing, they've always been a big pin and pull counter uh, power team uh, with Batonio and Teller leading the way. And they mm-hmm. like, Ethan Posick is having a nice season again for them that they've got, those are their three guys that, that when they, when they are playing well, those three guys are playing at a high level. So and then as far as the actual backfield, Jerome Ford is talented, but wildly inconsistent. Uh, he will do things that at times you're sitting there very impressed with his quickness and his speed. And he, he has home run uh, power in terms of he can, he can break a big long run. But then he will do things like run the ball outside and then like try to go around a DB as opposed to going through them when he's 215 pounds and has shown to be he has power. He has inconsistent decision making on when he trusts it. He's gotten a little bit better at finishing runs, but even at times still you're sitting there going, why isn't he just why isn't he going full force? Uh, Kareem Hunt is back despite everything. Um, and he's certainly had a sort of fun season from his fan standpoint. He is he's criminally inefficient as a running back. But (laughs) what he does is, you know, you give him just a a small amount of daylight and he will just slam forward with all of his might and get three, four yards. Um, And he's been effective in that. And they've had obviously used that to affect on short yardage and goal line situation where he's sort of, you know, sort of diminished, overwhelming concerns about how often he's running into his own linemen or getting hit in the backfield. He doesn't have any speed at this point. He's all strength and heart and guts, which you give him credit for. But, you know, there's a reason he was on the street available when the Browns picked him up. And then last but not least is Pierre Strong, who, you know, I'm very intrigued by. Uh, They traded for him. 
uh, when roster cutdowns were were happening uh, to the Patriots for uh, in exchange for a, a developing tackle named Tyrone Wheatley Jr. Pierre Strong, South Dakota State running back in college, supremely athletic. Like he he was outstanding in that. He was super productive. And you like the skill set. He's strong, but he's got good speed. He's good agility and all these things. And for whatever reason, the Patriots never used him. Obviously, they've got a, you know, a, a good number of backs there. So they felt, felt he was expendable despite being a recent fourth-round pick for them. And the Browns haven't used him a ton. He's largely a special teams player, but he, you know, especially compared to somebody like Kareem Hunt, the speed is apparent. He's very creative in how he runs, and if he's got if he's got daylight, he can punish you. So I'm, and even if you go back to this past week, I think he only had a couple carries. There's a theory going around that maybe the Browns are trying to hide him a little bit, that they're trying to save him a little bit from hmm. both the Ravens, and then they play the Steelers next week that they don't want to give too much away. And I do think there's a little bit of credence, at least in terms of how they ran the ball against the Cardinals. It felt very vanilla. It felt very sort of. We're not giving any. We're not going to do too much this week because we sort of know what's coming. So it's, I think, still like the second best running game in the league this year. Which you sort of look at the pieces, parts, and you're like, how is this happening? But they've gotten a lot better. I, I think the game that really stands out is what they were able to do against Seattle. Seattle had a really good run defense, uh, and the Browns were able to just punch through, punch through, punch through. And obviously, the big question coming out of the game is why didn't they? Why didn't they then run the ball again on that third and three call that resulted in the insane interception off of uh, off a guy's helmet? So there's a lot that sort of like doesn't work. And, and you know, I think against a team, some of these better teams, it it sort of reveals its its weaknesses of not having Nick Chubb. But every so often, they've been able to surprise a little bit. Strong is an interesting cat because he had a, a, a very high missed tackle rate in all the carries he's had in the NFL, which isn't too many. But he ran for ten yards per carry last year with New England, and in ten carries, that's not you know that's not a lot. But he, he's in this year he's got five missed tackles in a relatively small number, 30, 30 or so carries. Um, we saw a lot of that, but from Keaton Mitchell in his game, we'll get to that him on the on the defense and talk to him a little bit about. But the other thing I noticed is Kareem Hunt only has three missed tackles for us the whole season. Yeah, I mean, what's what's going I've on? Described, I've described him as a shopping cart full of groceries and how he works. Oh, okay, <laughs> there's no like I said, he's not he's not going around anybody. He's going through people. That is, and I give him credit for sort of embracing that part of himself. Um. He's all, you know, historically, even when he was a more athletic back and, and more dominant when he was uh, particularly his rookie with the Chiefs. But his entire career, he's always run where his like arms and legs are just flying all over the place. It's it, complete contrast to Nick Chubb, who's so polished and clean and all of his movement is very calculated in how he avoids taking big hits. Cream Hunt is taking all of the hits. Mm-hmm. He, he's just accepting it and going through with it anyway. Um, so, no, if, if he's getting the ball, you know where he's going maybe he'll stick his foot in the ground and, and move a gap, but he's trying to find uh, trying to find where he can just put his head down, get behind his shoulder pads and just slam forward. All right. Great descriptive material here. I love this one. I want to have you on the show, Pete. Um, what are they, they still running mostly out of 11 or are they doing much with a, either fullback or, or 12 personnel? What are they doing? So uh, in, in part, I'm curious to see if this is going to change with Deshaun Watson being more of the offense, but I don't suspect it's going to happen right away. They play with a lot of tight ends and they like to use a fullback. Uh, And much like the Ravens, it's not a traditional fullback. 
They're using Nick Harris, who's a back, who's their backup center. Um, he just looks like a block. Um, but he's he's quick. I mean, he's got decent speed. Uh, you know, he was drafted to be a zone style center because he's mobile. He's quick off the ball, and it sort of works for him in, in a fullback context that he can he can redirect and 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 get on guys quickly enough. And he's short enough that he he he's okay in terms of leverage and stuff where he can have success. You know, there are times where you, you see and you're like, you know, it, it, it can look bad, but they've been effective with it. And they, you know, David Njoku is a tremendous run blocker. And they've got Jordan Akins and they've got Harrison Bryant. They played quite a bit this past week. And some of that is obviously as they adjust to now moving on from Donovan Peoples-Jones and then Marquise Goodwin, uh, you know, we'll see what his status is, but he's he's in the concussion protocol. I don't think he's going to play this week. So your choices at that point beyond the the top guys of, of uh, Amari Cooper and, and Elijah Moore are suddenly – David Bell, we'll see what his status is. Um, do you play Cedric Tillman more or are you going to lean into your tight ends? My suspicion is they're going to lean more into those tight ends, try to uh, limit what, uh, you know, what, what the Ravens defense can do in certain terms of creativity uh, with the, the vari- variations of, of, of different calls they like today. They've got a very creative uh, defense, very creative defensive coordinator who's done a really good job. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you're going to see a lot more big jumbo personnel, and then occasionally they'll, they'll try to mix it up and then suddenly widen everybody out. The Ravens are, are actually a team that does very well versus 12 now because they've they've kind of embraced the notion of Kyle Hamilton as the slot. So when you, you know, obviously when you do that against 12 personnel, he's a good he's a good fit to to cover a tight end. But he's also a huge addition to run game defense uh, when you put him up there, not to mention he can give you things in the pass rush and kind of the queen of the chessboard, the Derwin James of the Ravens defense that they can move around. So I, I think the Ravens will do pretty well versus 12 personnel teams the rest of the way. It doesn't necessarily mean the Browns because the Browns are kind of special in terms of, of, uh, of what they deliver. Uh, but, but I think that that's a, uh, it's probably a pretty decent matchup for the Ravens to have a, have a, a 12 personnel team. Uh, how about other, other things about the offense and how it fits together concepts or whatever that you've seen this year, maybe that you hadn't seen before. Yeah, I mean, just in general, things that they've always liked to do, they love condensed formations. Whether it's tight ends or receivers, they love to create those angles for their blockers, uh, receiving threats that guys, and they, and you know, you lose a little bit with, with uh, shipping off Donovan Peoples Jones, but like the Browns have had, have one of the bigger groups of receivers just from a body type standpoint. Uh, Amari Cooper is like 6'2, 215. Um, Cedric Tillman is a big, big kid at six two or six one or six two and like yeah. two, two ten, two fifteen. David Bell is a big receiver, six you know six two somewhere in that neighborhood of two hundred and eleven pounds or something like that. In addition to the fact that they have David Njoku, that they have Jordan Nickens, that they have Harrison Bryant, so they really like to be able to try to limit the amount of gaps opponents can attack and also simultaneously. Press them on how they have to cover from that standpoint. So then it potentially gives you good angles on, you know, being able to get Amari Cooper isolated on a one-on-one because it's more difficult to sort of double him when you've got all these moving pieces parts. Um, in general, they haven't done a ton differently this year in terms of their passing offense. You know, certainly Deshaun Watson wants to push the ball down more uh, down the field more than anyone else they have. 
Um, he's aggressive in that. He's always going to take shots, which does benefit this team because they need, they, they, they need to create more space in general. And when they had P.J. Walker in there, there was none. Um, teams would just sit back and basically say, okay, the run's not that big of a threat. We can at least contain it. We're going to tackle the pass. Deshaun Watson at least creates more field that you have to be responsible for. But they are big on crossing routes, mesh concepts, um, big on uh, sale and post corners and, and those type of things. But, I mean, the biggest change for them is some of the stuff, that, you know, the inside zone and the split zone is is something they have not done a ton that has been uh, – added to the end of last year and more used effectively this year. And then the various play actions and RPOs they can do off of that. It's difficult to sort of really, you know, project how much of that they're going to go right into. Certainly RPOs and, and, and those type of concepts are something the Browns want to get into and want to get comfortable with. It's really just a question of how quickly is Deshaun going to be comfortable enough to sort of get right into that um, with everything else he's been dealing with, you know, and how much do the Browns want to put him in a situation where, you know, you know, if he doesn't make the right read, or even if he does, he may get, you know, Kyle Hamilton may fly right up and hit him in the chops. Do they really want to have a situation where now he's suddenly taking multiple hits in the game for somebody who already has a proclivity uh, for taking on contact? Yeah. Uh, concussion concussions. You mean, right. It, 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 you're talking about it. Well, concussion, but obviously just, just just what he dealt with. I mean, he, he, he missed basically six weeks with a shoulder injury. And, and you know, uh, whether, you know he, obviously it's a fluke injury. He got a pitcher's injury. But every time he takes a hit, everybody's sort of like wincing and looking through their fingers and going, please don't get hurt again. Mm-hmm. That's that's we know the we know the feeling with Lamar, yes. so that's uh, that's a, a good one. Uh, how is um, Watson at this point in his career in terms of reacquiring the field after turn your back play action? Because it's something the Ravens really ran a lot less of until this year. They got Lamar more under center now and are, are running some of that. But I'm interested to see you know in Watson's case, you're mentioning RPOs. Those are a lot of those are run from a mesh concept. You're right when you're talking about a, a sidecar mm-hmm. mesh. RPO, I'm assuming, as opposed to a, like a pistol mesh RPO, also would be a possibility. But you're, you're, it, how often does he turn his back for play action, and how comfortable does he seem to be with it? It's a Kevin Stefanski staple. I think Deshaun is getting more comfortable with it. I don't know if he loves it for this game necessarily, but it's something that it's been an adjustment for him. But he sort of also can sort of appreciate what it does for him. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. But ultimately, he's a guy who wants to see the field, much in the same way Lamar was. Yeah. If I can see it, then I can deal with it as opposed to blind faith. Deshaun Watson is not a big blind faith guy. And I think one of the things you saw in the Arizona game, and I think this is largely just hasn't played a ton, is – the, the, the feel, the, the speed of the game, he was sort of leaving clean pockets. And I think part of that was a, f- a function of I'm, I, I can't necessarily see what's going on in my blind side, but if I roll out, I can see everything. Even if I'm wrong and maybe I'm putting myself in more danger, at least I can see it and then I can deal with it how I want to deal with it as opposed to going on faith. Um, I, I think in some ways that's, a little bit of, of their DNA as a quarterback, but they, you know, I think Kevin Stefanski's trying to push his bounds a little bit. And I think he's receptive to, to a point. All right. All right. Well, let's flip over to the, the defensive side of the ball. And, and I always like to start with what do the Browns use as a difference between early downs and passing downs in terms of how they line up. So are, are they a committed nickel team still? Or are they, or and, and I'm not, I'm just asking on third down, or do they bring in a dime back uh, to replace the weak side linebacker? What do they try and do? Yeah, I mean, they've got – so early in the year, they were pretty committed to just having JOK on the field as much as possible uh, because of everything he can do. Um, I think partly because of just maximizing his usage and partly because JOK maybe more than anyone on the team – if he's less than 100%, his effectiveness drops off more than anyone else. So they want to keep him healthy in some way. So I think um, I think week one through eight, he was on the field like 71% of the time, and I think it's more close to 52 I think, recently. Uh, so there is some personnel swapping in that regard. But, I mean, when they, when they play the Ravens, um, the, the personnel changes are more uh, prescribed – Sione Takitaki is always a guy who's on the field against the Ravens, um, at least in the years past, uh, because they were they had so many tight ends and they were so jumbo. And he's their biggest linebacker. He's mm-hmm. you know he's a Sam backer who can, has a little experience in the mic. He's more used to being able to play uh, with expected dirty work. Um, Anthony Walker is going to be on the field in those same type of situations. Um, you may see more Tony Fields this time around who who played in the second game uh, second matchup of these two teams last year in combination with JOK uh, they want to have fewer linebackers on the field in general, but again, that may just come down to what the rate, how the Ravens play it. Traditionally, you know, in previous years, you always think of the Ravens and you're going, well, we are going to have three linebackers on the field the whole game because it's basically 
how it works. Whereas now it, with the offense they have, it's a little bit more, I think, personnel driven based on what the Ravens are doing and how they're going to operate. Certainly JOK is a wild card because one, he has a ton of speed and two, because of that speed, he is a good problem for the Browns, good matchup for the Browns against a player yeah. like Lamar Jackson. Um, defensive line wise, they're very specific. Um, yes, they will have occasionally have some of their nickel guys in on early downs, but they have a pretty prescribed group that they're going to have uh, on, on perceived rundowns. Jordan Elliott uh, is going to be up in the middle with uh, 93 miles Garrett, uh, Zadarius Smith are going to be out there, you know, depending on his status, uh, Alex Wright could be in on those situations. And then when they get to more pass rushing, you're going to see the, uh, you're going to see those, the smaller groups Zadarius Smith's going to kick inside. You're going to get, uh, Okoronkwo. You're going to get Maurice Hurst, who's been fantastic for the Browns this year. Mm-hmm. And then Miles Garrett's going to line up where basically wherever he wants. All right. Uh, it's it's certainly a, a scary pass rush group. JOK is one of the players who's always really scared me about the Browns playing the Ravens in part because he's a guy who hurt Lamar in, in one game. But he's always been – the Browns and Bengals both have timed up their blitzes well or timed up their spies triggering well. When Lamar leaves the pocket, they're out there as soon as he's trying to leave the pocket, and it creates all kinds of problems for him. And I really mean usually left or right. And most obviously, most of the time, it's going to be right with Lamar. Uh, they, they've just been able to stretch him out laterally because of the, some of the speed they have and and uh, being able to contain him. I've really felt like Lamar has not done enough against the Browns, certainly, but against other teams as well. The Arizona Cardinals spied him intently, and he didn't have a very good game at all. Um, I thought part of the problem was he wasn't uh, trying to manipulate those spies which I think you can do by either moving up in the pocket or or uh, feigning even a step right out of the pocket with 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 players like JOK and and uh, some other teams who just are so trigger happy uh, you know wanting to come downhill on Lamar uh, but but I, I, it's not really his game to to I mean definitely manipulates people in the open field like nobody but but in, in terms of manipulating spies uh, into into taking a rush on him I haven't really seen that part of his game develop but I'd really like to see that in this game. All right. Um, uh, in terms of the pass rush, you talked a little bit about the scheme there. Um, the defensive line, you talked a little bit about that group as well. Any any big surprises on the defensive line this year? Anybody who was like just much better than you'd expected or much worse? Maurice Hurst is the biggest surprise, uh, given that he was basically injured for two years. Uh, he was certainly a talented player uh, before that. Um, came in the NFL with the, the question about the heart condition and whether or not he was going to have a career at all. And then he outperformed and was was good. Uh, and then he's come in and you're sort of like, okay, he's a flyer. You know, We'll see how long it takes for him to get hurt. And he's been a dynamic pass rushing threat on the interior. He does exactly what you, you, you saw him do at Michigan in college. And then what he's been able to do in the NFL. he's quick, he's smart. He takes good angles. Uh, you saw the interception against the Seattle Seahawks, which is just a spectacular athletic play tips the ball up and then catches it himself uh, mm-hmm. in nearly 300 pounds. Not a lot of guys can do that. Um, nobody really has disappointed. I, I, I think, I, I think, the Browns want to. See, I think. I, I think it's safe to say the Browns want to see more from Zadarius Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good player. The problem he runs into, and, and part of the problem that the Browns have, I, I mean, it, it's a problem. But it's also who they are. 
Jim Schwartz's defense, he says, the defensive line, you guys do what you want. And the linebackers and safeties will fix you. Um, and the problem you've been running into with Zadarius Smith in particular is he gets caught in situations where he's trying to be responsible for backside cuts on runs and then gets just gouged when the quarterback rolls out to that side. And they've not done a good job of adjusting. I mean, uh, even if <laughs> the Browns only give 58 yards to the Cardinals, I was still dri- it was still driving me nuts. That I'm sitting there screaming, there he's rolling right, and they said nobody ever was there to stop him from rolling right, and that's the identity of who, who the Browns are. But the problem, and and they play a ton of man coverage behind that. The problem is they can't do either of those things against the Ravens with any consistency. Like the Ravens do not allow you to be who the Browns want to be on defense. You cannot just say, okay, defensive line, you get to do whatever you want because if they do that. They're all, you know, if they're wrong, Lamar Jackson's going to have 20 yards to run and the linebackers aren't going to be able to, to corral him. There are at least going to be some set of guidelines because he's just so special as an athlete where you, you have to be, if not gap sound, at least gap cognizant that you can't just sort of spin inside whenever you feel like because you're going to get killed for it. And then, you know, with that, the Browns are such a heavy man team, but you can't do that because you can't have your DBs turned around looking at the receiver mm-hmm. with a quarterback like that, and it's death. So you're going to have to see, you know, I, I, and I think deliberately, the Browns played a ton of zone against the Arizona Cardinals. I do not think that was because they were worried about Clayton Toon. Practice. I think that was entirely about getting ready for this matchup. So, and they have, you know, and they needed it because they have not been good at zone this year, and they've gotten beat uh, playing in zone. They are far more comfortable in man. And they have to be effective in that in covering that way, or they're going to get beaten up. Um, you know, you look at the last matchup, and and, and you know the Ravens. You know, you look at the game, you go, "Oh, the Ravens blew them out." They did. That's absolutely right. But it really came down to two drives, where you just two back-to-back drives. Where you're sitting there going, uh, "The Browns could not stop them." Lamar Jackson was operating at the peak of his powers. The play calling was fantastic and the Browns just had no answers for them. And they just went right down the field. That was eye opening. but the Brown and and maybe in some ways after that, the Ravens sort of took their foot off the gas and said, we just need to not screw up and we don't want our quarterback to get hurt. Um, That they didn't feel like they had to keep pushing it. But like that was sort of the, those two scoring drives. I think it was like 160 some total yards in those two drives um, were the, the, the crystallization of everything the Browns don't want to be against the Ravens and what the Ravens cause teams to do. All right. well, the, the Ravens are efficient in that game in terms of scoring on all four of their red zone drives, which is, is something they've been off and on this year. Really bad game in London, went one for six in the red zone, but, uh, but that was a strength in, uh, against uh, Cleveland. Um, anything else about the about the deal well, we, I don't think we hit on the secondary yet did we we, we haven't talked about them at all who's who's now lining up for the Browns in the secondary yeah so Denzel Ward is in and Martin Emerson are their outside corners it's a question mark who's going to play in the slot this this week uh Greg Newsom is dealing with I believe a groin injury that kept him out of the Arizona game uh, I mean we'll find out his status we're recording this basically right before Teams are about to go out for practice and stuff, so we'll get an update on him. Because Cameron Mitchell, who's a, a fifth-round rookie who played really, really well against Arizona, uh, is on injured reserve with a hamstring injury. So I would assume that if 
if for whatever reason Newsom can't go, it'll probably be A.J. Green, the third, certainly somebody the Ravens are familiar with. He's played in, in several of those games in the past. Um, and then they've got Grant Delpit, who's playing really well at strong safety this year. And then Juan Thornhill, who's been a big, big, big plus for them at free safety this year. Um, again, very good man coverage team has been far more inconsistent when it comes to some of their zone stuff and, and getting caught uh, with some big coverage busts and, and those type of things. Um, they have been good. Um, I, but, I, but I, I, I think this entire bronze defense can basically be summarized as they are when they feel like they're good, they're good. When they get worried, it tends to go bad. Uh, and, 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 they start giving up chunk plays and, and you mentioned the red zone, their red zone efficiency on defense is horrendous. Um, they've been awful. Um, you, you, you got a lot of sort of kudos for how well they played those first few games of the season. Nobody was ever in the red zone. It was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like before the Cardinals game, they had that streak of, of four games. The Re- the Ravens were four, four. Um, and, and over that month, they were getting giving up touchdowns 81% of the time in the red zone. They were wow. ghastly. Um, so they are a team of sort of rhythm when things, you know, and look, some of this is, is who they are. Um, Jim Schwartz runs an attacking defense. They want to believe that if they get you behind, you know, if one of those three plays goes negative, they're going to get you off the field. Um, but you have to be able to – you're going to – one, you're going to give up your share of plays because eventually teams are going to find a way to uh, to get you, but then you have to be able to uh, get past it, move on to the next play, shows resilience. And they've struggled in that department this year in some ways. So what you see is like Seattle Seahawks game is another good example. They give up 17 points in the first quarter. They dominate the next basically three and three and three quarters quarters, and then they they have a lapse at the end. They just tend to be a very uh, I don't want I say emotional team. I just think they're very confidence based. When they feel good, things are going good. All right, all right. Well, obviously some interesting things. You you probably have seen the tape on Keaton Mitchell this week in terms of what he did in the first game against the Seahawks. Yeah, in some ways, a, a very tired Seahawks team by the end. Certainly, when he had the sixty-yard carry, but actually played a little bit in the first half as well. And I think there's no, there wasn't a lot of reason for the Seahawks to be tired at that point. Um, anything that, that comes to mind about about what he might be able to do against the Browns, or or how the Browns might handle him better? Well, here's what I would say about the Seahawks and the Cardinals because it's interesting that the Browns played the uh, Seahawks before the Ravens got, yep. and the Ravens played the. I think both those teams are cooked um, in, in the, their respective games. Uh, I think they both played incredibly physical games. Arizona spent everything trying to upset the Ravens mm-hmm. out in the desert. The Seahawks obviously had to pull it out at the end. I think both those teams were just done. Um, you know, that's one of those schedule loss type things. Keaton Mitchell, look, you, you, whether it's what you've seen from in the NFL or, or college, he's just he's just one of those water bug type guys. He's tiny, but he's just super fast. You get him in space, and he causes problems. And if the Browns get caught in a situation where he's left with open field, he's going to he's going to kill them um, in that regard. Because again, they have sort of a risk taking defense in that regard. And if you're right and you catch them in the wrong spot, he's going to have room to run, and that can be deadly. Um, flip side is 
when they are doing well and they're they're playing their gaps well, they're probably going to have a good time suffocating him. So I think it's going to be – it would not surprise me in the least if it's a lot of nothing plays for him. And then whether it's a run or it's a reception out of the backfield, that suddenly he creases one and it's sort of, you know, it may be one of those things where Ravens fans are watching and go, why do we keep giving him the ball? Why are we doing this? Why are we – okay, there it goes. There it goes for 50 <laughs> yards or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it just strikes me as a feast or famine type player in this matchup. Okay. All right. It, interesting. He's the thing that shocked me the most about what he brought in that first game was the power contact balance was fantastic. I mean, you know, I did not expect it, that from him, certainly anything in college. Kind of thing, he made a really nice pass block and that's been one of the things that's kept him off the field or really, I think kept, kept him from being drafted was just a complete non-factor as a pass blocker, but it made it really nice pick up pass block on the left side uh, to, to, to finish one off that, that looked pretty good, but, but eight missed tackles forced in nine carries, uh, you know, a league leader has 33 right now to, to, to put that in perspective for people. And they, you know, those are guys with 150 carries. Uh, well, about, so. the, the other thing I would say with him and one of the thing, big things that stuck out to me in the first matchup was the Ravens run scheme was incredibly effective against what the Browns want to be. The Browns want to attack gaps they want to shoot through guys through and the Ravens ran concepts and their line did a really good job of being able to sort of allow their backs to have options and being patient and being able to sort of go, okay, this guy's cre- uh, crashing here. I can go out the back door and that just killed them. The Browns would commit and the Ravens were able to hold up long enough that their backs were able to find its space. And with a player like Keaton Mitchell, again, that uh, potentially a deadly combination that if he can find those things, if he's patient enough and the Ravens line continues to block as effectively as they did the first matchup, that really swings the advantage to the Ravens. All right. All right. Well, you know, in this second matchup, um, uh, I, oh, I did want to ask you one more question about Emerson, just to go back for him for a second. Has he been in the slot then this year? I mean, he's huge, an atypical slot player, but you, you, I thought you mentioned him in the slot in this game. Uh, no, uh, he has played in the slot, but typically the Ravens don't have a guy that he's going to cover. In the slot. Unless, well, I should say that's not necessarily true. They have had him, I believe, in the game last year, maybe even this first one. He has lined up against tight ends. He may have locked, mm-hmm. uh, lined up against uh, Mark Andrews. Andrews at points. But traditionally, he's a boundary corner. Like I said, if if, if Greg Newsom can't go, they may put A.J. Green there. Now, it's possible. I could envision a scenario where they put A.J. Green on the outside or somebody else on the outside and maybe put Emerson in the middle, in, in the slot for the sake of trying – to throw something else at Mark Andrews um, because they really do like Mark, uh, Martin Emerson's physicality. He's not afraid. Uh, we'll give up, we'll give up plays, but uh, he's not, he, he is a guy who bounces back pretty quickly. All right. And one, one more question about Grant Delpit too. guy I really love coming out of school, but is, is he in his contract here now? He is. Uh, he's having a fantastic season. Um, just does a lot of things. You love. does great work around the box uh, has been good on the blitz. He's a very smart player. Um, I think a combination of one, I mean, every Browns DB will say the same thing about what's, what's the secret sauce to the defense. They'll say the defensive line undoubtedly has made the biggest change, but I think between the scheme and, and the addition of Juan Thornhill in particular has really allowed Jim Schwartz to use Delpit in the ways that you would have liked to see him from the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. Granted, uh, you know, Delpit was at least coming out of free safety and the Browns initially looked at him as free safety. He can do a little bit of that, but he's such more dynamic player when he can play downhill 
and trust his instincts. Uh, and, and he is a guy I think the Browns will look to lock up if possible. Yeah, uh, that's a that's that's an interesting one. The Browns, in terms of cap space, have about what twenty thirty million. They have some significant amount of money this year, right? <laughs> that they'll roll into next year. Yes. So this is the thing: is the Browns will create as much money as possible in a year to roll over and essentially pay themselves pay pay off extensions they keep paying. Andrew Barry's done a tremendous job of sort of planning way ahead. Um, you know, if you look at how the Browns have done this, it's basically since. Uh, Sashi Brown was there, uh, who's now with the Ravens, started in 2016. They spent two years with a drunken sailor spending a lot of it uh, before they got back on track. But they've been very good about planning ahead and trying to give themselves options in terms of how they want to be able to retain their own players, even as they're going to have to make some tough decisions at some other spots. All right. All right. Well, it'd be interesting. Obviously, the, a lot of Ravens fans are looking at the Browns cap. And, and hoping that the Browns run into some trouble because the Ravens have an, a, just an enormous number of free agents leaving after this year, and it's going to be very difficult for them to um, pay for – I mean, there's not going to really be money for additional cornerstone players. Um, and, you know, they'll lose players like Geno Stone and Patrick Queen, and uh, Kevin Zeitler will almost certainly be gone. I'm, I'm missing some others, but uh, who's the other big one? Anyway, lots of lots of guys will not be playing for the Baltimore Ravens next year um, that are currently. So in a lot of ways, the, the window is a single year here for the Ravens. Uh, they will be able to rebuild, I, I think, um, and, and contend again in 25. But 24 is going to be very difficult for them. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't count on the uh, I wouldn't count on the Browns being poor anytime soon. They're really well positioned to keep going. It, it really just comes down to how they spend the money and if they can draft behind them, if they can do those things, they're going to be around for a while. If they fail at either of those things, then you could see this thing go, uh, go poorly. And obviously all of this is overshadowed by one single player. It goes as far as Watson takes them. And if he's not good, it's going to be a disaster. If he, if he plays to, you know, to the level of a $230 million player, they're going to be in really good shape. All right. Uh, how about how about we go to the, the final usual question? Give me a player on each side of the ball that you think matches up well against the Ravens for this game. Yeah, so offensively, uh, Amari Cooper, uh, because he's basically matched up against everyone well uh, this year. You know, the Ravens, you know, when Marlon Humphrey was out with the foot, I think it would it was easy to say that they had the worst corners in the, in the division. Marlon Humphrey back, certainly a sensational talent. That will be a matchup. I'm sure they're going to at least have him there most of the time. I think a lot of this game for the Browns is going to be finding ways to get Amari Cooper away from him or finding ways to get him in in spots that uh, enable him to create space because he's just been a sensational player for them. Uh, You know, they've had nothing at quarterback this season. He's I think he's already over 700 receiving yards for the year. Um, So in a lot of ways, he's the offense Uh, defensively. It'll be interesting to see how how this works. I I think most people would look at JOK. I I look at Grant Delpit in this one because of everything he's doing now and because I think the Ravens are going to be hyper-focused on JOK for all the reasons we've sort of talked about. I think Grant Delpit, whether it's blitzing or just underneath coverage or some of the ways he can help uh, be a a good defender and a good tackler can can be a really good player for them. And, And um, he was sensational last year uh, in the matchup. Obviously, it was with Tyler Huntley, but he really did a great job in coverage on Mark Andrews uh, the last time they played. So he's got a, a, a good uh, he's got a good trend going. 
There's an SAT question in there somewhere. PJ Walker is to the Browns as Tyler Huntley is to a, a, a guy who who creates negative space <laughs> for an offense to operate if ever mm-hmm. there was one. So uh, uh, anyway, Pete, fantastic stuff. Always great to hear you, have you come on and talk Browns. Uh, thanks for dropping all the knowledge on us. Tell the folks where they can find your stuff and uh, and talk football with you online if they want to, maybe on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. You can find my work at the uh, Orange and Brown Report, uh, the OBR. Uh, and yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Any piece you've written recently that is a, you know, kind of a, a one you're proud of that people should look for? Uh, most recently, I, with the injury to Jedrick Wills, I talked about what the what the present looks like for the offensive line and what the future is because they have a lot of big decisions to make. Um, we talk about cap dollars is where it comes in. They're estimated. I, my math or our math is they have sixty four million dollars in offense. Just those five offensive linemen next year. They're not going to pay all five. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Some decisions to be made. Well, thanks a lot, Pete. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. I'm always interested in new topics and meeting new people to talk football with. Uh, Please get to me. I'll get back to you very quickly, and we'll see if there's an idea for a show there. Pete, thanks again for coming on. Uh, Thanks for having me, as always. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.